Uh, Hold on, sorry. Psych. (laughs) Now Mm. we're recording. Mm. So on Wednesday night, uh, we were uh, amplifying pictures from uh, a fundraiser for Joe Biden. And I I saw you both pushing that on Twitter and you in the photographs. um, And it was coming from a few different directions. Um, But ultimately, it was about several activists being there physically uh, waving signs and giving information to folks coming to this high dollar fundraiser. Can you talk about you know, who you were representing, who was represented in that action, and uh, and why you thought it was important to get it out on social media? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and so, yeah, last night on Wednesday, March Fourth, uh, we um, so met activists at Sunrise Movement LA, 350 Action, um, CBD Action Fund, which is the Center for Biological Diversity Action, um, and also uh, Extinction Rebellion LA. Um, we came in coalition and, and came together um, and protested outside of a fundraiser that Joe Biden was having in Bel Air. Um, with you know Diane Feinstein's husband, uh, Richard Blum, who who is uh, an investment baker, I believe. Um, Diane Feinstein welcomed the guests via speakerphone. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was there, um, and so it was a high dollar fundraiser. And so these activists, um, you know, stood outside, and we actually had a a good amount of high schoolers that were with us, um, and. So with Sunrise Movement LA, um, we it's a young group, and we prioritize um, you know young voices and, and the opinions of young people because they have to inhabit the world that um, we're going to be living in. And so um, these act, you know I was part of, <coughs> excuse me I was part of the group of activists that stood outside um, the fundraiser, and we were handing out um, the. Uh, a scorecard for Joe Biden in on his climate policy, and um, the scorecard is um, was was made by Center for uh, Biological Diversity Action, um, and Joe Biden gets a two out of ten on their scorecard. Wow. Bernie Sanders gets a ten out of ten, and so that's why you you see like a, you know a large amount of young people voting for Bernie Sanders because they're afraid of their future. And if Joe Biden is elected president, even though we have a Democrat in the White House, um, he is someone whose um, climate policy and climate plan is severely lacking. And so that's why we thought it was important to do that direct action, you know, on the ground and, you know, in person. Um, But it's also very important to... um, push that direct action in person, push that online on social media like Twitter and Instagram. Um, because, you know, um, you know, a lot of the people that we are looking to reach are on social media. And um, because Sunrise Movement LA and Sunrise Movement National, we are a young group full of young people and they're more likely to be on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and we want to build a, a strong organization of young people who understand what um, the climate crisis will bring. And we want to confront that. 
And so it's important to get the message out on social media because that's, you know, where our main demographics are. And so that, that, you know, that, that's why it's important. And that's, you know, how a lot of people um, be, became interested in Sunrise Movement itself, you know. Right. I remember, uh, was it just a year ago that uh, Sunrise went viral after Diane Feinstein in her San Francisco office was kind of dismissive uh, and patronizing towards the, the young people who uh, came to talk to her about the Green New Deal? Yeah, yes, that and so that's what a lot of people um before that was the Nancy Pelosi action, but the Diane mm, Feinstein That one the, the Pelosi action was the one where AOC came in and like high five them as well. Is yeah, that- first first day um that the Congress members were back in DC and AOC's like first day uh on the hill, she went and sat in with Sunrise Movement DC in front of Nancy Pelosi's office and you know, Speaker of the House is right. now uh, being protested outside by this environmental justice group and this first first year congresswoman is sitting in. It was a um, really fun example of the power dynamics in, in our country. It, it's also huge. You know, you talk about social media as a recruiting tool. Um, you're an advisor to the really online lefty league, which is uh, a, a PAC uh, political action organization that is uh, supported by, by my company that sponsors this podcast. Um, a big, it's like that big web of uh, Sanders dark money where uh, a bunch of people with mm-hmm. like crowns and, and uh, you know, it's like my, I'm like r- running all these organizations out of my home office, you know, and my, my credit card bills. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's like, I think that a lot of us are really convinced that uh, it's kind of now or never for how America is structured. Like we either uh, really bend towards being a full oligarchy in the style of uh, like a hollow state like Russia, where, you know, a handful of powerful people kind of call the shots and very uh, intermingled uh, between the power of the state and the power of capital. Um, And, and that necessarily means that the climate, uh, you know, the American oligarchy is not going to fix the climate. You no, know, yeah. It profits Care- careful on, with your uh, oligarchy definition, though. It's sounding like Jason Johnson. <laughs> oh, too complicated, too big. Yeah. Well, I think the no, no. what we what we yeah, don't get me kicked off MSNBC. <laughs> Did I tell you that when I did my run on uh, the fake ads at Facebook, MSNBC was the only one where they had me in the chair and then they preempted my my story with something else. So, oh, really? Something about impeachment, <laughs> and oh. which which uh, doesn't seem as urgent now. No, yeah, well, uh, thank- thankfully, impeachment went over smoothly, and Trump's favorability ratings really sunk because of uh, impeachment. And Nancy, no, that, yeah, Nancy Pelosi was right. <laughs> Whatever you say, Adriel Hamptonski. <laughs> Adriel Hamptonski. Um, so we did ha- strike a big blow against the American oligarchy this week. I, I, I feel like it's been a week already, but just yesterday as we're taping, Michael Bloomberg uh, dropped out of the race for American president. Now, 
uh, we understand that that'll just go behind the scenes to support the establishment candidate. Right now, that's Joe Biden. Um, and it is interesting to see how fast this presidential race is moving. I know um, you're reacting with these direct action, uh, like where you're actually physically at an event and you're, you're talking or seeing Leo, you know, drive past or be driven past. And you're able to hand people these actual um, flyers that show the record. How do you go about like, what are some successful ways for people to organize? Like they see this on social media. They're like, I like it. I want to get involved. Uh, how do they plug in? And, and then, you know, what are tips for these kind of offline actions that aren't just, uh, you know, signing a petition or tweeting at, a, at an official? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, if, if people want to get involved, um, you know, there's a lot of groups out there um, that are doing direct actions. Um, but the group I'm a part of, um, Sunrise Movement LA, you know, follow us on our, our social media. Um, we have a, um, a social media application that we use for uh, group messaging and we have a bunch of different teams on, on Sunrise Movement um, LA where, you know, there's each, everyone, you know, plays a different role in, in the group, in the hub, however they would like to participate. So, you know, I'm on the press spokesperson's team which we, you know, doing our media outreach, but I'm also, um, I, I help organize with the actions uh, team. But we have, you know, a bunch of different teams within the group. If people want to get involved, um, they're more than welcome in, to help in any way possible. Um, so what we do, you know, there's a lot that goes into planning these direct actions. It's not something that, you know, we kind of think of that morning and we just get up and go, um, you know, if you saw some of the pictures that we posted last night, like we had printed signs and we had a, uh, a, a banner that said our future or fossil fuels, um, the printed signs, you know, had the Biden campaign logo on it. And it said, Joe Biden, you know, which side are you on, uh, our future or fossil fuels? So it takes time to get all of that stuff. And that's where our art team comes in. Um, our, 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 our media team is, you know, who coordinates um, developing like, um, you know, visuals that we're going to use at the actions. And so, you know, and then, you know, getting everyone together who would like to participate and, you know, we have, we run a like decentralized leadership um, organization. So, you know, everyone, um, it, everyone's opinion is valued and should be shared. And so we, you know, when we get a group of people together, we try to really figure out um, everyone's sensibilities and what everyone is comfortable with and how, you know, we are going to execute the action what the action is like going to look at, like, are we going to hand out scorecards? Um, and, you know, we had to discuss like, is this a action where we're going to escalate? Are we going to like, as you've seen um, actions that I've been a part of in the past, like, are we going to go on to this person's front yard and start chanting with megaphones? And so we decided not to do that. It, that was not the time and, and place to do that. Um, so all, you know, all of these things go into it. 
And, you know, we have, you have to be actually careful with how you are planning um, in-person direct actions because you don't know who um, is looking at your messages or, or you're saying you want to believe that everyone is, um, is, is like on your side and not sharing. And it's not even sharing with like people who you're targeting, but just sharing in information that you shouldn't be sharing at that time with just like friends. And then, then they tell and who, who knows where the information, you know, goes. So you have to be, careful with what you're doing in that regards. It's interesting because I uh, was trained for one of these actions and it, you know, you have to think about consequences. Like, could you be arrested? Um, You know, what do you do if security Mm -hmm. uh, intervenes? And we see that with um, on the presidential stage, like you have these uh, anti-dairy protesters who've been disrupting the presidential campaigns. And I saw some discussion around the difference between how they were treated by like, say the Bernie Sanders campaign or Elizabeth Warren campaign. And then in the Joe Biden campaign, they like uh, staff members and family were like tackling the people off the right. stage. <laughs> and um, you kind of never know. Right. In that case, it was, it was yeah, a little strange because it wasn't security going after them. It was like, yeah, I think Simone Sanders, like the spokeswoman. Yeah. Campaign, Simone Sanders secretary. like dragged her out of there. And again, it is interesting because that's like, it becomes such a moment because of social media. As a press coordinator uh, or a spokesperson for these actions, um, like last night with the Biden fundraiser, did you interact with any press or did social media become the main way you got the news out? Yeah, so last night we we were focusing on social media. We sent mm-hmm. out a media advisory before the action, like a few hours before. But since the, we wanted to keep this more low-key in our planning and such, we didn't really tell too much traditional media beforehand. Um, you know, with other actions that, you know, that may not be as, uh, you know, secret in our planning or that we... Um, really want to get out into traditional media, then we'll, we'll like start sending emails a week before and start making calls like a week before and really give them ample time to, to uh, come out and cover it. But last night was more of a low key thing and we wanted it to just get out on social media. Um, but because we were in Bel Air, we had such like poor reception that I, we had to wait till we got back down the hill to start like posting okay so we just sent it out on social media and you know fortunately you know we uh, are in some group dms where we can share it and hopefully it catches on with the people that we interact with on social media and it and you know you never know what could go viral and you know we just want to put things out there and, and see how far it can go we we sent out a, a bunch of tweets and and instagram posts and it see we actually got some pretty good traction i mean it didn't go like crazy viral but you know a couple hundred retweets on, on a few of the things that we've sent out and so that is you know kind of the goal we want we want our stuff to go viral on social media and we want people to see us. We want young people to see us and we want to show that we are a force to be reckoned with. It's interesting. It's one thing with when you're creating your own media is that 
more traditional journalists can then see that that's happening and pick up on it, particularly if you're putting video out there. Uh, right. Not only is video really easily shareable on Twitter, where a lot of the media um, folks hang out, but uh, it works really well for stitching into a local broadcast. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what we were we were trying to do. And funny enough, I actually had to send out some emails this morning, and you saw the um, you know entertainment or I sent out a um, a tweet last night. That, about a story that mentioned Leonardo being at the the fundraiser, and you know Leo's supposed to be like a um, climate leader, someone who you know he makes speeches at the UN, you know, talking about what uh, you know what what climate change really is and the climate crisis, and yet he's like supporting Joe Biden, and you know someone who like consistently falls behind both Sanders and Warren as far as climate policy, like Sunrise Movement and Greenpeace and, and Center for Biological uh, Diversity, they all ranked him below Sanders and Warren, yet Leo is there. So to, to tie it back to the press spokesperson team, I saw that article um, and I had to send out a few emails this morning like to the writers with those bylines saying, you know, we were out front and like we were protesting environmental justice and Biden's um, lack of uh, willingness to confront the climate crisis. And Leo was there and you omitted that from your story. Um, and it could be a bigger, bigger story where Leo is supposed to be this climate activist, yet right. he's at a Joe Biden fundraiser. And so that that's part of the press outreach stuff that I did this morning, because there is a whole narrative that is just being missed. So you're saying their story was simply this celebrity was at the Joe Biden event, but you're like, hey, to put it in context, this is celebrity is supposed to be a climate leader and he's portraying the movement at this moment. Exactly. And it's like it, they that doesn't matter to them. They just want to mention that uh, this famous celebrity was at a Joe Biden fundraiser. <laughs> it's a, I guess it's a simpler story. The um, This is where I think that the work online is important because as we've talked about before it's like you can change the media narrative uh you can you know troll the media into uh understanding and reporting on your perspective and right. that's something that is it's much more difficult when um you don't have the kind of more equal power structure that is created by social media it's sometimes hard when you're trying to reach people by email you're trying to reach their assignment desk but when you you know you can get 50 people to say something to them on twitter about why are they not covering this correctly um i think that 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 kind of public pressure can be very effective yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's how, like, you know, you you know how it is. You control, you can kind of control the national narrative or the local narrative, whatever it may be, um, by, you know, you never know what will go viral or what will get picked up, but, you know, you know the power of social media and posters and, and the ability to, to change the narrative. And so that's it's, what it's we crazy how it's changed. Do. I was I was looking at stuff that I was tweeting in 2009 about single payer, and it looks like I could have been doing it today, except I would have called it Medicare for all in the hashtag. But it would have like zero likes, you know, zero interactions. <laughs> and it's funny because some of us like who've been online for a long time, and I'm sure Matt 
feels this as well. Like, you know, just toiling away in the salt mines of content forever. And then finally, you know, you start to see the light of like people actually looking at your stuff or, you know, being influenced by, by the issues you're trying to push. But it's great. I think, um, yeah, I think that Sunrise in particular, that those viral actions uh, have done so much to put them on the map. And it's great to, to hear that, like, these local groups have formed. You know, it's not just an action in D.C. It's like actions everywhere all the time. Yeah, yeah. And tomorrow that we have a fire drill Friday. And, you know, that's going to be with um, Jane Fonda. And, you know, her national attention and the media that she gets for just doing anything and uh, deservedly so. So we try to, like, you know, use that momentum as well. Like, there's a lot of attention on Fire Drill Fridays and Jane Fonda. Unfortunately, tomorrow is going to be in Wilmington. Um, and Wilmington is home of a lot of oil drilling sites. And, you know, to use, to bring it to where we use social media, like we want to get visuals out to the people seeing like, yo, there are oil drilling sites, like 50 feet, a hundred feet away from people's homes, you know, like literally right in their backyards. And so, because a lot of people may not be hip to, um, you know, what it, what this environmental justice and environmental racism really looks like. And, you know, we need to get that visual out, out into the world. So people like a lot of people probably weren't hip to, um, you know, putting pipeline where, where our government puts pipelines until like no dapple in the Keystone. Right. And we were able to see it visually what was going on. We're like, damn, that's so fucked up. And sorry if, I don't know if you can swear yeah, on here, but, yeah. um, but it, you can't it, not a, swear on here. Uh, fuck shit. Uh, um, so yeah. So getting that visual out there will just be like very impactful because you we're going to be able to change things on social media people are going to be like wow like that like hearing it is one thing seeing it like you said with the video is another thing and so that's what we're really going to be going for great well i i wanted to invite a discussion for the tech tip this week on Adriel versus the oligarchs. I, I know we discussed a little bit of how you plan actions, how you get involved, but um, what are some of the things that in direct action you advise around uh, security of information, um, how to safely communicate with each other without, uh, I guess, you know, trying to avoid surveillance, avoid um, uh, folks uh, who might, you know, jam up uh, one of these uh, actions. What are, what are what are some ideas around tech for our folks? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, if you're on like a group messaging app, just like a, a public one, let's say, you know, Facebook Messenger, which I would not recommend using, but maybe also using Slack. Like you want to be kind of discreet with like your planning and like just say, hey, like we have an action going on. Like message me if you, if you um, are interested. And, oh, like, um, you know, I know we're all con concerned or, or, or we saw the results from last night. Like, you know, if that upset you and you want to, like, be a part of a direct action, let me know. Um, and that's how you just, like, start to get the word out. And, you know, they're, so using, like, Slack is, is a good public messaging sp force. Um, 
source, excuse me. Um, and like Zoom, we use Zoom for Zoom calls. Like if you want to get a bunch of people together to discuss the action, um, you know, that isn't messaged or emailed, you know, that you can, um, that there's like a hard copy and you want everyone to get, you know, ideas out there and discussed and kind of get the planning. We like to use Zoom. And then there's also... Um, for the next level, um, you know, for like private messaging or, or not encrypted, uh, or excuse me, encrypted messaging, where traditionally that there is no surveillance or there is a much, a much there's much more difficulty like getting for for anyone to be viewing that that's not invited to, and so we like to use um, you know one of the apps that is used. Is signal um you know it's an end-to-end uh encryption messaging um app application and from my experience like signal is the best um encrypted messaging application where you know it really does keep things private and safe and you know not to be shared with anyone that's not invited to or should be privy to that message awesome thank you richie yeah um, so I wanted to let our listeners know about uh, Netroots Nation 2020 coming up uh, August 13th through August 15th in Denver. Uh, I think that the tone of that conference will be uh, different depending on what's going on with the presidential race, but uh, it is an opportunity to connect with a lot of uh, folks who've done uh, independent media online for a long time. Um, who've done, uh, you've been involved in the, what used to be called the blogosphere. Uh, that's kind of where Netroots Nation goes, goes back to. Um, but it, it's really going to be all the digital practitioners from campaigns and organizations that are active in the U.S. left political landscape. Um, so something to keep on your radar. I also want to um, just highlight the value of the interface newsletter from The Verge. I'm finding more and more of the tech news I want to talk about is in that newsletter. Um, And they're actually releasing a bunch of hardcore resources uh, from The Verge for uh, keeping track of uh, technology-related legislation, um, moves to weaken encryption, uh, like we just talked about uh, governments around the world, including our own government, don't really like this end-to-end encryption because it keeps them out nope. too. Um, there's also a Verge guide to state and federal investigations into big tech platforms. This is as we see platforms like uh, Amazon and uh, different Google products, like Gmail in particular, uh, and uh, Facebook, you just have this hegemony in terms of numbers of users and uh, penetration of a certain product like Gmail being ubiquitous uh, for email users. Um, it, it is imperative that uh, government regulators are uh, making laws and enforcing laws uh, around uh, big tech. So for, for folks who want to stay up on that, Verge is on it. Um, and another important one is Section 230. This is the one, this is where uh, the FCC has uh, held platforms to not be responsible for the content uh, shared on them. Um, and it's also an important uh, epicenter of the battle over free speech online. It is interesting. A lot of times I'm uh, very critical of 
speech online, particularly lying Republican speech. Uh, however, the U.S. does have a unique place in the world as uh, fostering a ton of free speech. And we're going to talk more about that with some of these other stories. There's actually a, a story I uh, read today about U.S. officials in contact with TikTok over political disinformation. And it's interesting because uh, basically regulators and officials have relationships with these big platforms, TikTok being a non-US platform and also tremendously viral. Um, it, it actually concerns me though how um, opaque these relationships are, right? So you have uh, the uh, government wanting to weaken encryption, you have the government wanting to uh, regulate disinformation. But at the end of the day, these things need to be tremendously transparent, or we could be in a place where the uh, platforms are just censoring for the government. You know, it's not a direct First Amendment, it's like a second, you know, once removed, they kind of let the platforms know what they want. Um, but the problem of disinformation is really bad. Uh, one of the things that came up today is that uh, Trump, and this was uh, revealed in an investigation by uh, Judd uh, from Popular Information, who's been a guest on the show before. He was uh, looking at Trump having uh, more than a thousand ads that look like census forms. And they, they really have like, you know, official government business kind of labeling on them and um, very, very misleading. And they're meant to just harvest personal information from, I would say it's older, lower information Facebook users. And the Trump campaign has said they want to raise a billion dollars. So they really need to harvest all of this data about their, uh, their, their potential donors. And then they call them, they send them emails, they send them uh, letters. And Facebook just today, as we're recording on Thursday, you know, I read this story in the morning and I thought, oh, this is something to talk about. Um, Judd is just by tweet updating the story and saying that Facebook says now that they will take down these ads by the Trump campaign. So, oh. um, yeah, we have this, this, uh, there's so much going on in the world of content delivery and information. It's like, it's almost impossible to keep it all, uh, keep track of all of it. But I, well, I Adriel, think that, I, I think that there's a, there, you know, there's a distinct thing about the how the government speech and like is the government and government officials like you as a candidate um you know, what you should be allowed to say or broadcast to the people um in comparison to like what you or i as like private citizens may be able to post on right right that's a really good distinction and this this uh i think a distinction i've also tried to make is there's, uh, you know, organic versus paid speech. Like right. the platforms, I think, need to be much stricter on what can be advertised versus what can be said. But this section Agreed. 230 stuff is where it gets really dicey for individual speech because if, if the platforms become liable for lawsuits over, say, defamation, or is it uh, libel? Is it, uh, yeah, libel is written. So if... Yeah. Li libel is a form of defamation. So if uh, they want to sue me for something I said, but I don't have any money, so I'm not a good target for a lawsuit, but they can sue Facebook <laughs> instead, 
and Facebook's in it. This is like the gun manufacturer liability, right? Mm -hmm. Gun manufacturers are not yeah, liable. Yeah, like vicarious liability. Or, or Yeah, but if you push that liability up to the gun manufacturers or to the platforms, you would essentially shut them down because Facebook is not going to want to allow itself to be sued for any crazy thing anyone says. So they're going to have to self-censor much more aggressively. And I, you know, I think that these reliance on section 230 and just an exemption from liability is not how you want to regulate the tech platforms, but it's right. so difficult because they, they have, um, this reach into every element of our, our lives, right? Uh, whether it's our political lives or, uh, how we respond to, uh, to a, p a potential pandemic, uh, to what products we buy, to what we spend our time doing, you know, whether that's endlessly scrolling feeds, which uh, I know can be, it can be super hard to break out of, or whether it's playing games um, on, on these platforms. Uh, so, I mean, that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons we just talk about this, over, you know, every week we're talking about what's going on, uh, right now, it's TikTok and disinformation. It's it's Trump uh, trying to uh, trick people into filling out census forms uh, that aren't the real census. Um, and that one was a real uh, sticky one because Facebook had said they would not allow uh, disinformation about the census. And they were saying, well, it's clear that this is his campaign, but it's not really clear or else they, you know, the whole reason to make it look like the census is to make people... Uh, fill out the forms without really thinking about it, without really thinking about, is this the president or is this the president's political campaign, et cetera. Um, another really interesting uh, piece I was looking at, it was, um, I think it was a discussion between uh, journalists and, and think tank folks. Uh, it, it was Matthew Ingram uh, talking with uh, Yochai Binkler about the right-wing media ecosystem. And, this is interesting because I, I think a lot about like the, the filter bubbles that we create uh, in which we look at information and we look for uh, affirmation from our peer group within these created communities on social media. Um, but it's actually, uh, they, they put together a panel and had a real discussion about the, uh, the right-wing media infrastructure. And one thing, it, it's very clear is that it's older folks it's not really linked to online behavior, but it's very, very insular. It's like once you're in that kind of Fox News bubble, that's kind of where you live. Facebook is like this as well. You see people using uh, large Facebook pages either to scam uh, folks who are in that right-wing bubble, or you see folks um, using that right-wing bubble to just really push uh, wild narratives. And there have been a lot about the, uh, coronavirus, uh, coming through, uh, Dude, the anti, Facebook. the anti-vaxxers on Facebook have like millions of followers, some anti-vaxxer pages right. and, and they like, they're running wild with coronavirus conspiracy theories. And that's, it's like extremely dangerous to like that these groups have that are allowed to have, you know, without any kind of like disclaimer or whatever it may be, whatever you think Facebook should do. But these groups have like, you know, hundred thousand, you know, get millions of impressions on these conspiracy theories that they're sharing about uh, coronavirus. 
and we have a president who wants to dismiss it and make it seem he's, uh, he, he has no interest in public health, only in <sighs> his own reputation. They, I don't know if you saw this from yesterday, but he was like, um, yeah, the uh, WHO just released like statistics um, that, you know, 3.4% of the people tested for coronavirus ha- have it in like a, a deadly or in a whatever the term is used. And then the president comes on Fox News and was like, yeah, WHO sa- says this, it's at 3.4%, but but my estimate estimation, it's more like 1%. And then he goes on, you know, starts babbling about something he has no idea about. But it's that type of shit that um, really, like, people are watching Fox News and they're like, oh, the president, hmm. And these people obviously are operating in a different ecosystem. But the president says um, WHO is wrong and their numbers are incorrect. It's more like 1%. Well, you know, the president, Mr. Trump, can never be wrong. And right. so it just enforces this conspiracy theory or just like this, this misinformation that shouldn't be misinformation. It's just like absurd. It's interesting because we, we were talking about like the um, digital direct action and shaping narratives uh, through uh, online action. And, you know, I think we're in this place where like everyone's just trying to do the best they can because we don't quite understand how these platforms are really influencing uh, people and events. And we also we have a president who's very good at getting information out that isn't necessarily true. So I'm just kind of like, uh, what are my tactics today? You know, what are my tactics today? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and so the only way I mean, you you know, from your experience with Facebook, the only way to fight back or to really draw attention to what is going on um, with these social media uh, companies or in tech in general, like um, <laughs> Like with Amazon and Palantir uh, and, and, you know, sharing information with ICE, the only way to really, um, you know, fight back again, against this fascist agenda is to like call attention to it on social media and to get things to go viral on social media because like the traditional like print media or like um, the news specifically like Fox News will never cover these stories. And so right. it's like big tech is, is, has gone unregulated and they're literally selling people out, like selling American citizens out. I mean, our government is, it does, it does that to an extent as well. Um, but, you know, big tech, it, a private company shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. So a couple of Facebook stories, and then let's talk a little bit about uh, Twitter before we sign off, because I think that's that's one of those places where uh, more than anywhere we can influence the media narrative, although Facebook seems to be where the largest captive audience is. Facebook uh, reportedly is revamping its plans for Libra, the private uh, currency, digital yeah. currency that it's been creating. Um, and this time they're going to also, they're kind of going the PayPal route. They're going to have their own digital currency, but they'll also have uh, uh, representations for the dollar and the euro. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me, you know, that we do have such weak regulation. And this is where, you know, this is Thursday, Elizabeth Warren dropped out today. One of her biggest issues and where we're also very closely aligned was uh, regulating big tech, breaking up big tech. And 
the thought of Facebook, you know, also being the bank um, is just so company <laughs> town. And yet we don't have a lot of pushback against that. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, you're mad. We'll just do, we'll include the dollar as well. And it just shows you, I think, that um, these companies are now in many ways more powerful than the government. And we need crusading politicians to keep going after them um, I mean, while we do our part. It's it's tough to get politician. I mean, this this rat this gets wrapped up in so many different issues as well. But it's tough to get politicians to stand up to these big tech companies when they're taking money from Facebook, when they're taking money from Google, when the when you know right right wing leaders are meeting with Mark Zuckerberg, um, and it's tough for Paul. I mean. It, we have this expectation that politicians should be representing us or like protecting us, but you know, not really when they're, you know, taking money from these big tech companies and they're, I, you know, if big tech wants to donate, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousand dollars to a, can a political campaign, you think that politician's going to turn around and want to regulate their behavior? That, that's just simply not, you know, what, what happens in America. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see Silicon Valley's role in the election is often big fundraisers, even though we've seen yep. that the employees are donating most heavily to Sanders yep. and uh, I'm sure other candidates. I mean, I've actually seen other candidates as well, but it's the behavior between the investors and the owners versus the employees, uh, even in these more lucrative uh, professions is still starkly different. And I think it's just so interesting how this election has exposed so dramatically the class divides in our society. Um, I saw, I read something nuts about, it was a breakdown uh, from my friends at the Seriously Wrong podcast. Uh, and you know, that's where we get library socialism. Uh, they were looking at librarians versus librarian texts. And it's like librarians donated to Warren and library techs who are like the lowest people on the totem pole, they donated to Sanders. So you're seeing even, even within the, the more progressive side of the Democratic Party uh, splits that are based on, on class. You know, you have like active duty soldiers, Walmart employees, teachers like are for Sanders and then the more professional folks uh, who are liberal progressive for Warren. And then as you get like Wall Street just can't stand Warren, you know, it's <laughs> like they hate her guts. I, I heard that like offline. That's, you know, that's why, that's why she's, she's fine. We just have a few minutes uh, here, but I, I wanted to talk about Twitter and this uh, threat. Uh, and I was reading about it. I've been reading about it a lot, but um, it was in the interface, Casey Anthony's newsletter. I was recommending. Uh, he says the potential end of Jack Dorsey's latest tenure as CEO of Twitter. And this is because uh, this group uh, called Elliott Management Corporation has a 4% stake in Twitter and is trying to take over the board with the goal of replacing Dorsey as CEO. And Twitter is interesting because there was like this effort called buy Twitter. And then at one point that was kind of like uh, hijacked by um, Valerie Jarrett, uh, uh, former CIA uh, operative who's now, uh, who's been running for Congress. And, uh, but now Elliott Management coming up with us with, they actually do own part of Twitter. They bought Twitter and yeah. now they're saying, get rid of Jack Dorsey. You know, Facebook is making a killing in the markets and Twitter's doing badly. And the Twitter employees are really rallying around 
uh, Jack Dorsey. I found myself wanting to rally around Jack Dorsey against a hostile yeah. takeover of his company. What are yeah. yeah? What are your what do you you think, Richie? No, I I you know I mean Jack Jack could could have done a lot more over the past ten years um, to uh, you know. Pr- protect the people on, on Twitter. And so, yeah, Casey Newton, the, the guy at uh, the interface, he, this article that we were reading, um, saying that, you know, the Twitter employees are getting behind Jack. And I think it's because you can draw a clear delineation um, between Jack and Mark Zuckerberg. Like, while we wish Jack could have, would have done more, he hasn't, like, completely sold us out like Mark Zuckerberg. And um, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is, like, basically just, like, doesn't care about people that use his platform. And he's willing to sell their information to the high, highest bidder. And Zuckerberg, like, allows companies to, like, go into people's um, inboxes and, like, and look at their messages and stuff. Um, Jack Dorsey hasn't quite done that. He, I mean... Jack Dorsey hasn't gotten Nazis off of the Twitter forum, which is like bad. Um, and definitely like there are things to criticize, criticize him on, but I think seeing that like the employees getting behind Jack as such, like they, I think Jack has, has more cred than with his, with his company than Zuckerberg does with Facebook. Mm. Yeah, I think that, I think that that's a good point, and that's why he came back to Twitter. Uh, you know, right. he 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 cares about it, and I I like some of the planning, like when they're talking about making uh, Twitter like a distributed service that people could build on top of. Um, some of the 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 future of Twitter under Jack Dorsey is really interesting, and I think it's almost one of these platforms that like. It has become it has really become an essential uh, communications infrastructure, even in a way I think that uh, Facebook has not honestly I think Facebook yeah um, is unfortunately caters to like lowest common denominator uh, it's almost like become the place where uh, you know spam email chains <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's where they went. That's where they no, went. No so, uh, well, all more power to Jack Dorsey. Uh, hopefully he will deal with the Nazis, but uh, also not lose his job. Um, thank you, Richie, so much for joining us. <laughs>